What Is My Podcast About. My name is Keith Ramsey, and as always, I am joined by Matthew Grace. Hello. And Peter Akerley. Hello. So, we sit down fortnightly in this yes. podcast, and we just try to see if we can figure out what to make a podcast about. Uh, it's been a bit of time. We have actually managed to get 500 downloads in total since doing this, but we still haven't figured it out. Maybe one of the 500 downloads will give us an answer. Hopefully. But before we do move into uh, some of our normal stuff, uh, we do actually, sadly, have a correction I do want to address. <sighs> Perfect streak is broken. <laughs> now, this one came through on YouTube, and I, I forgot comments were on YouTube because I normally turn those off. Because who wants to deal with YouTube comments? It's a wasteland of human emotion. I don't recommend it. Yeah, uh, but this correction was actually on the YouTube upload of our The Witcher episode. Uh, this one was from, it's got an accent, a juk zero zero. Uh, if we pronounce that wrong, correct us in an email. Yeah. Not on YouTube comments, because I cannot read those properly. If you're curious what email to send it to, it's what is my podcast about at gmail.com. Uh, anyways, the uh, correction was that uh, when we were talking about the guy leading the army in the Witcher episode, uh, according to him, the guy is uh, a search for Siri that leads the part of the Nilfgaardian army, isn't the emperor, uh, it's a low-level leader, uh, Kallir. Uh, the emperor is back in the empire. So that fixes the whole issue about us confused about why he looks so different. Again, it's been a while since I read the book, so we we did goof on that one. Yes, we got that one wrong. So And it was no goof on my part then. Awesome. Matt was 100% right in all the things he definitively said during that episode. <laughs> Possibly. All five things, sure. But that was the only correction we've received to date, so I guess that's pretty good. You know what? For, like, what are we on? Episode, like, 20-something? I believe this one we're recording here would be 23. Yeah, so for 23 episodes and only one mistake, I think that's pretty darn good. Uh, in other news, I would like to give some shout-outs, uh, or as Peter so put it last time, uh, call-outs. Yeah, we're going to call some people out. Uh, so on Instagram, we, as we say, upload uh, an image uh, when we do the recording for the episodes with a hint on what the episode would be. And if you guess it correctly, we give you a shout-out. Now, no one guessed it correctly by the time we uploaded or finished the recording the episode, so we had to save it for the recording of this one. Uh, but I want to give a special thanks to uh, Colt Investigator, who gets half points. They said Sanic. Is in the movie, but... Sanic is in the movie, but he's not the main topic of what we talked about. Uh, Tyler Langel, guessed it correctly, and Yazoo Rose. Uh, those are all their Instagram handle names. So you have been called out. You have 24 hours to respond. Uh, Let's actually, start an internet feud! <laughs> if people show up to my house, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's kind of it for uh, just giving some shoutouts and uh, acknowledging that correction there. Uh, but since we last recorded, a bunch of interesting stuff has happened. So we did get some more information on the Series X, uh, specifically that it has a function that if you buy a game on the Xbox One, they made it available that the game developers can choose if buying one version gives you the most advanced version for that copy. This was exemplified by the fact that CD Projekt Red announced that if you buy Cyberpunk for the Xbox One, when You'll the Xbox Series X comes out, you will get that version of the game, no extra charge. Which kind of does away with Bethesda's whole business model of making people buy Skyrim as many times as possible. It'll be interesting to see how many companies choose to take up this opportunity. So far, CD Projekt Red is the only one who's actually come out and said this is functionality we're going to be using. But hopefully more developers start using that in the future. Because it is a pain in the ass to buy a game you already own just so that you can play it on your new console. Yeah, and this is purely on the Xbox Series X coming out. So it's... 
more so than not, Xbox has been having a very shift to being user-friendly, I found, and this does help with that gap period that most consoles have of when the new one comes out, there's nothing on it. Now, of course, they do have Game Pass, which should amend most of that, but this is another one of those ways where you don't have people stalling in the middle ground there and waiting to either pick up the console to get the best version or buying the, you know, the previous version and not buying the new system. Yeah. So that should help with that. But this is kind of CD Projekt Red's MO anyways. Uh, there's also news recently, uh, Good Old Games, GOG, yep. where they recently changed their refund policy that if you've downloaded the game, played the game, you still have 30 days to return it full. Huh. So you get is, your full is refund. There, is there a limit on how long you can have played the game? Uh, nope. It's if was if it's within 30 days of purchasing. Oh. Now, so they just, do have in the clause that they do have some uh, the right to decline based on circumstance to circumstance, but overall it's just within 30 days you can return it. Okay. Essentially, it's an open door for scumbags to crawl through, but try not to be a scumbag and buy a game, play it for 30 days, and then return it. Now, try and be a decent human being and only return games that you don't actually like. Something they did mention in that thing, too, because they're all about, you know, being on the user side of things. They did mention that, keeping in mind that just not liking a game is not necessarily always the grounds for returning it. If you played it and you got your way through it, sometimes it's better to do a review than just to return it because it hurts the whole system. They did that whole spiel. Are there going to be people that exploit it? Most likely. Yeah. Given the environment, I don't see it going horribly. No. I think CD Projekt Red is, are really good people and they're GOG. Most people tend to kind of respect what they've got going on. So hopefully people won't try and take advantage of this situation that they've kind of put themselves in. And it'll actually, where it's designed to benefit the players, hopefully the players try not to take advantage of that. Yeah, and... Because I know that's one thing that's a real pain in the ass. Like with Steam, I bought a game that just didn't fucking work and just couldn't return it, couldn't do anything about it. And it's a real pain in the ass when you buy a game and you can't get a refund for it. So the fact that GOG is kind of going out of their way to try and make that possible. Like good old Fallout 76, where even if you bought the quote-unquote physical copy from store, you couldn't return it because it was just a little cardboard disc that had a download code. Yep. Yep. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this plays out. There most likely is going to be some amendments to this, possibly, but I think for the most part it might go relatively unchanged. Another thing that also ended up happening as well, Animal Crossing got a direct uh, since we last recorded, which I'm just more excited for the game. Yeah, that game looks fantastic. Uh, you can now jump in the game. As everyone knows, you can place items outside. It, we've seen a bit more about how it's going to work for uh, crafting, so your items will just be destroyed. Uh, very Zelda-esque system for items. Uh, on top of that, uh, the, you get to choose where everything's on your island when it starts off. So when people move in, you choose where they move into. When shops are set up, you choose where they're... So that's going to remove a lot of the frustration of, you know, oh, I set up this nice flower patch and put some, you know, ground decals on to make a uh, walking space. Oh, someone decided to build their house right in the middle of it. Yeah, it'll be a lot more convenient and easy to kind of build around. Fuck you, Velma. <laughs> uh, on, on top of that as well, the Final Fantasy VII has a demo now. Um, oh, wait, there's a demo? There's a demo, a playable demo of uh, the opening, uh, the reactor mission, essentially, oh. at the beginning of the game. So, uh, if you haven't played that yet, like Matt, apparently, uh, yeah, download that as soon as you can. I've got to play that. Uh, Matt, I can excuse you from the rest of the podcast. If you like, I can understand. <laughs> yeah, me and Keith will just record this one and you just play some Final Fantasy VII. That's going to have to hold me over until I get through uh, Persona 5 or when that comes out. <laughs> I don't know, I'm more excited for Final Fantasy VII. Because Final Fantasy VII now looks like what it looked like in my mind when I was younger playing it. Yeah, I watched the trailer for it when it was first announced. And in my head I was like, this doesn't look that different than the game did when I was a kid. This is exactly how I remember it. And then I went out and sought out gameplay footage of the original. I was like, 
oh no, they actually completely changed the game, and it just now fits with what my memory holds it as. Uh, now, fun fact, the demo was actually released the day that they originally announced for the release of the game. Uh, it's kind of fitting. Yeah, so they gave us something on that day, oh, yeah. even though the game got delayed. Uh, it covers the whole reactor mission. We did get some confirmations, though, that uh, the game is going to just cover the Midgar section, but it's been expanded with extra stuff. Uh, so what we have seen is, well, from what they've said, it's going to be the size of a standard Final Fantasy game, which means they took the Midgar section of the game, which is what, about two, three hours of the first disc? Yeah, thereabouts. And it now covers a full Final Fantasy's worth of stuff, which makes me wonder how they're going to do some things, because there's some characters that, like, for example, Sethroth doesn't actually make an appearance in the first uh, section, in the Midgar section anyways. Oh my god, He's, you're right. He, we see his sword stabbed through Shinra, but we never actually see him. Yeah. But we know he's in the game. So there's going to be some changes, obviously, to the story, which I'm very much looking forward to. Midgar as a whole is more explorable. Uh, so there's just... I really hope Sony releases the information about the PlayStation 5, because if they don't, I'm probably going to buy this PlayStation 4 when this happens. That's reasonable. Um... Uh, uh, last thing in game news I have listed here, uh, Halo Combat Evolve is now uh, released on PC. Yes, it completely went under my radar that it showed up. Like, there were no big announcements for coming, it just dropped. Yeah, I just signed into Steam and it was just a giant banner that said, it's live now. Oh, uh, this does match with some information people were saying about projected timeline release, where Combat Evolve was expected to be released in February, so it wasn't too far off. Uh, so with this being the case, uh, it wouldn't be surprising if we saw Halo 2 out by June. Just where the information that was speculated on that has seemed to be so far matching up. Right. That could change, but I think so far it's been looking like it's going to play out that way. But we still don't have Forge mode, do we? Uh, maybe. I haven't fiddled around in that. I've mainly just been playing matchmaking. Fair enough. I don't... I, I'm more of a Halo 3 Forge person myself, so I'm more so going to jump on that bandwagon when that shows up. And uh, last thing that happened in the meantime, what I kind of want to talk about, is we got some trailers for some uh, new anime coming out. Specifically, Crunchyroll is doing an original series, and they've got Tower of God and God of High School, which are two uh, Korean stories that... Yes, which I've been meaning to read for the longest time. They're amazingly good, and the fact that they're both getting an anime series is amazing. Uh, some people are even saying like we're entering a new kind of like set for what anime is, essentially, where it's now these people that were doing the online comics... That might not necessarily be part of an organization that might be publishing individually that are now getting picked up to be having their stuff turned yeah. into. Especially considering how successful Netflix has been with anime recently. And the fact that they have several really good anime like Violet Evergarden, which mm -hmm. I just finished watching under one of my friend's recommendations, and it is phenomenal. Well, that's kind of pretty much all I had to talk about from what happened in the meantime. Do you guys got anything interesting? Uh, not really. I'm rather dull outside of this myself. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, we can just get right into our topic. Yeah, uh, I think we might as well announce what the topic's about in case no one figured it out. Yeah. Uh, so would anyone like to describe what we have here on the table, which is in the photo on Instagram, if you haven't seen it yet? Yeah, just look at our Instagram photo, but uh, let's describe a couple of the things. So we have several uh, novels. We have a copy of the iRobot DVD. We have the Player's Handbook for D&D, &D, uh, Hyrule Historia for Legend of Zelda, we have some engrams from Destiny. We got Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy VII. Very fitting, given how we've already devoted some time to talk about Final Fantasy VII. I sleep with it in my bed every night. Now. I don't doubt that for even a second. You might not want to touch it. I don't want to touch it. Uh, we have the Predator. We have is that our boy Roy over there, yeah, Amiibo, 
And then Simon Belmont. And a sonic screwdriver... Spoon. Spoon. Sonic, sonic spork. spoon driver. Sonic spork? Okay. Sonic spork driver. Yeah. So, uh, if those make no sense and you can't find the link between them... <laughs> That's right, you guessed it. We've gone insane. <laughs> We're talking about Brent Weeks again. <laughs> uh, no, this one is actually a suggested topic from one of our fans. Uh, one of our near and dear fans, who we all know quite well. Uh, this email comes from a... Thomas Shahan, if I think I'm pronouncing that right, I might not be. It, it looks like it's Tomas. Tomas, sorry, Tomas Shahan, uh, and he says, "Hi all, enjoying the podcast. My suggestion is sci-fi versus fantasy." And then he has several different questions that we're going to kind of go through over the course of the podcast. But as a heads up for what the three questions he asks are: What was better represented this year? What blends better with other genres? And what gives you more freedom for writing slash world building? So, thank you, Tomas. Uh, we'll try and answer your questions and give you a better idea about what the difference between science fiction and fantasy really is. Uh, so, getting ready for this, it's... I was thinking this was going to probably play more like our uh, Marvel vs. DC episode. But as it went deeper, I realized this is definitely going to play out like our board game episode. Yeah. <laughs> from just looking at, like, it's such a vast topic to cover. Uh, but we wanted it to still go through because it was an interesting one for talking about. Uh, I went and kind of did like a deep dive into the history of what is fantasy and what is sci-fi. And I actually learned some things about the genres that I wasn't quite aware of. Uh, so first off, the sci-fi genre has only kind of been around for like the last 300 years roughly. Uh, it was mainly popularized because of great scientific advancement in the time. The whole idea of sci-fi is what is possible with what we're finding. Uh, so that's why a lot of sci-fi will deal with space, travel, uh, technology, time travel, stuff as like that. Uh, just to exemplify some very famous sci-fi novels, there's Gulliver Travels. Uh, that was uh, uh, 1726. We have Frankenstein, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Time Machine, Brave New World, 1984, iRobot, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Hitchhiker's Guide, are just some prime examples of sci-fi. Whereas on the other end, fantasy is as old as mythology. Yes. It goes way back. Uh, some popular modern versions of fantasy we've seen is The Christmas Carol, A Little Mermaid, Lord of the Rings, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz. And that's where we get into the rules of what makes each one specifically. And really, it's more of the definition. There's a few things that need to be there for it to be either one. But more so, it's not. It's what they don't have that yes. more so makes the genre. So, for example, sci-fi has to be rooted in scientific theory. Whether that theory can be correct or not is kind of irrelevant. And we're going to reach a point where, you know, we can upload our brains into a robot that looks exactly like us and function perfectly normal. Potentially. Potentially. And that's the premise of a, sci of a sci-fi story. Is that everything it, is grounded in actual science, it, but there's a possibility of expansion on what science we know. Well, it's a lot of, these are scientific developments going on, what's the further conclusion of it? So when mm -hmm. we started working on the space race and trying to get to the moon, science fiction authors started looking... Well, what's the next step after getting to the moon? Is it going to other planets? And we started hearing about stories about people space traveling to Mars and colonizing Mars. Is it going to other galaxies and stuff like that? And that's where we get all these intergalactic stories. It's taking science that exists in our world right now and kind of figuring out what process might happen through the advanced research of this topic. Yeah, and another example of that is when the Industrial Revolution happened and, you know, manufacturing and all that stuff. That's when we started focusing on robots and machines and what's possible like what is the everman gonna have flying cars and stuff like that yeah uh another interesting thing about sci-fi is a lot of 
technology ends up getting theorized from sci-fi too and then created. Well, it works kind of in a circular cyclic fashion yeah. where science happens based on that science science fiction is like well what's the next step after this where could this go and then based on that science fiction scientists are like that's a really cool idea how could we build some science around that and they end up getting inspired by science fiction and actually developing new technologies that were originally theorized purely within fiction. Like Nike's uh, self-tying shoes. Or Crystal Pepsi. Yep, both of those <laughs> things. Uh, now, on fantasy, fantasy is a bit more complicated. Yes. Fantasy has had eras specifically, and uh, we're currently living in what is the Tolkien era of fantasy. Uh, but essentially, as I said, fantasy has been old as mythology itself, though... It's not mythology. No. So, for example, the Epic of Gilgamesh, Beowulf, would not be classified as a fantasy story. But lots of fantasy is rooted within mythology, and that they take our mythological uh, beliefs and twist them on their head to write fictional novels based within those. Exactly. And oh, the thing I found interesting is there's a rule, one of the rules that are kind of specific to both of them, though I don't know how hard you can play with these or if they're set rules... But sci-fi must always be rooted in our reality, whereas fantasy cannot. So if it's a story that's not on in our reality, essentially, it's if debatable it, if it's fantasy. Because the rule of fantasy is it's got to be uh, essentially an altered world, altered rules uh, of reality is different from ours. That's the aspect of fantasy. Fantasy is pretty much created from the round up. Uh, some examples of things that you could argue certain ways, but they apply as fantasy uh, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. Narnia. Wonderland, the Witch in the Wardrobe. The idea is that these are fantasy stories is because it's people being pulled into that fantasy world that's not ours. Yes, uh, there's so some sort of parallel boundary. Yeah, uh, A Christmas Carol is him being pulled into... Other times within our own kind of reality. Through the use of magic and all that stuff. But then things that have supernatural elements would not be considered... Uh, fantasy in a sense. So, for example, if we talk about ghosts specifically, that's not fantasy no. necessarily. No, that's more of uh, superstition within our world, Bigfoot stuff like that. Because while it's not something that can be proven by science, it's not exactly like magic, and it's rooted in within our reality as well. Yes, yeah. You can have Same a ghost way... in a fantasy setting, but uh, just a ghost itself is not a fantastical thing. Same way as if you had like superhero stories set within our world or anything like that. It's not fantasy because it's still based within our real world. Whereas if you have super fantastical beings set inside a fantastical world that's not ours, then it very quickly does become fantasy. They're just different concepts. Fantasy doesn't work with trying to base it within our real world. Not to say that it hasn't been tried before. We have quite a few examples of them using our world and fantasy together. But usually there's some sort of fantastical thing that makes it not our world anymore and that's why it works uh yeah. an example would be bright uh where it's our world but it was smashed into a fantasy world yeah. so it's not exactly in our reality anymore at that point another good example is the shanara chronicles which is kind of low-key in our world yes but not really because all of the set pieces are there of the old structures of our buildings our highways which I always enjoyed because reading through the books, you have no idea until much later on in the series that, wait, this is actually our world because of just the way everything's described. Important to note, there are definitely air quotes around our world in that context. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, like, if it was just our world and there was fantasy elements there, that's where you get into a weird zone, but I've never really, I don't think I've seen something like that specifically. 
but all of these ones that we've mentioned here are our world getting thrust. Like essentially, it's you remove the person who gets thrust into the fantasy world. Everything got thrown into the fantasy yeah. world. Yeah, but also, I could be mistaken since it's been years since I've read all, all the Shannara books. But I think the magic came to that world that uh, the stories take place in, which is mostly quote unquote our world. I think it came to this world from some sort of demonic dimension or such. I... Yeah, so it was a dimension that essentially Smash cut it in there. Pretty much. Now, so that's how it, th things like that kind of get away around with the rule of it needs to be its own world, but you can kind of loosely put it into our world. You also find examples that like feel like they're breaking this rule where it's like a fantasy world hiding behind our world, like Harry Potter and stuff like that, where like, surprise, our world's always been fantastical at the same time, but once again, it's... Too much of a corruption of our world for it to still be considered our world. Exactly. When you tweak with the rules of the world to have a background thing, that automatically means it's not our world anymore. Yeah. Whether you want to pull a whole, like, devil's truth concept on it where it's like, you can't prove a negative. Yeah. It's like, you can't say, ah, oh, we can't prove that wizards aren't actually a thing. True. But that's not our world that we live in. Yeah, we don't live in a society where wizards are a thing. And at the same time, they do kind of warp into, like, pocket-like dimensions and thing, which add to the fantastical world. Yeah. Now, if all of a sudden a wizard apparated into this very room and proved the existence of the wizarding world, then it would become a nonfiction story. Oh, then it would be autobiographical. Also, very quickly, this sonic spork would turn into a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> if a wizard warps into this room without saying, how do you do, I'm attacking him before asking questions. Probably the safe thing to do. I can get behind that. All right. Uh, now, one thing I did want to talk about, which is there is one series that stuck out in my mind, which is one that kind of plays fast and loose with these rules, and that's Star Wars. See, my thing is I am unwilling to call Star Wars science fiction. I see why a lot of people think of it as such, but it does too much to kind of take itself away from any sort of scientific rigor. Yeah, I much prefer to call it a science fantasy, if anything. I, It's a space opera, is what it is. It's yeah. just a fantastical story set in a science-y world. Well, There's, the thing, a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is, it's in space, it's sci-fi, which isn't the case. Spaceships, space battles, there's aliens, there's robots. But, uh, and that's very much true, and there's other series like that too, like uh, the Warhammer 40k universe. It's yeah. not sci-fi, that's 100% fantasy. Yeah, there's, as we've already said, nothing about fantasy requires it to be set in, like, olden times when only bows and swords exist. Uh, the nature of fantasy just requires other elements, whereas the nature of science fiction requires this kind of scientific explanation for yeah, everything. Science fiction needs to be rooted in science in our world, whereas fantasy needs to be a world created from the ground up with its own rules. Like midichlorians. But, uh, uh, <laughs> we're not going to talk about <laughs> But the, the thing I found funny about this was the original Star Wars trilogy was very much, you could say, 100% fantasy. But then George Lucas started throwing in oh. science science fiction elements into the prequel trilogy. Oh, absolutely. The original trilogy was 100% pure fantasy set in a, sci or a space location. Whereas the prequels, he tried to go back and was like, no, it was science fiction all along. Here's the scientific explanation for everything that you saw. Here's how laser swords work. Yeah, because Jedi's Here's how were, the magic force works. The rule was, like, Jedi's were kind of magic in the first one. But then he made it science-based, where, like, the best way to describe it is the way the midichlorians work and how they work within it. I guess I'm talking about it now. But essentially... <laughs> uh, I forced the topic! You are manipulating your midichlorians to affect other midichlorians, which I guess kind of makes it a psychic ability? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. 
Just no. Regardless. And funny enough, psychic is actually a science fiction concept, not a fantasy concept. Regardless, we can answer this one definitively for today. Star Wars is not a science fiction topic. You can argue about whether or not it's pure fantasy or whether it has other elements blended in, but it is definitively not a science fiction. Yeah, but it definitely leans way more heavily to the science fiction. Earth isn't a concept in it. If Earth does show up, that's going to piss a lot of people off probably anyways. Oh, if they show up on Earth in, like, episode 10 of the Star Wars saga... Well, it'll be turning the time of the dinosaurs. It's exactly. long, long ago. Well, they show up on Earth and it's, like, 1976. And like, hey, it's a long time ago now. And it's like, no, go fuck yourself. I mean, to be fair, uh, Soul Calibur 4 crossover with Star Wars puts it into about the 17, 1800s. Yeah, because Yoda and Darth Vader, yep. Yeah. Alright, so... Our topic was not Star Wars. We're not talking about Star Wars. Uh, there is one other thing I just want to talk about as well. Uh, fantasy, uh, as I've mentioned before, uh, has eras. More very much in the Tolkien era. Which, Tolkien kind of, everything you think of as fantasy now, was pretty much defined by Tolkien. Like, the concept of elves and dwarves existed in other contexts before Tolkien. Tolkien straight up invented uh, orcs. Also, even though dwarves and elves both existed, he completely redefined how we think of them. Like, the long, gangly, perfectly charismatic creatures who are old as time. Live in the forests. Yeah, that's 100% Tolkien. That is not how elves were originally. Yeah, before that, elves were kind of like just forest tricksters. Yeah, they were like forest nymphs that tricked and fucked with people. Dwarves were like, almost like goblins that lived under mountains, and now they've become this noble race of warrior crafters. Yeah. Yeah, 100% all all Tolkien's doing. That's how we think of those different races. And as I've said, and this is the one that like blows people's minds so much, orcs are 100% Tolkien's creation. Like a lot of people think, oh, that's something he took from other places like he did with elves and dwarves. Nope, he was just like, what if elves but evil and then not elves anymore? (laughs) There you go, orcs. But what about the evil elves? Yeah, Tolkien didn't have any drow. Nope, he did not have drow. He had orcs. Orcs are drow. Pretty much. But I feel like they're a lot better placeholder for a villain if you need one. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's pretty much everything about fantasy we use now is because regardless of how you feel about the story, Lord of the Rings as a whole just drastically changed the genre. Whether some people think that's for the better or the worse, it's really hard to say. Well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard not to accept the fact that Lord of the Rings had such a huge impact on fantasy going forwards, considering how widely accepted it was and how in-depth all of the background for that world is, and how flushed out everything is. Well, my favorite part about all of this is that Lord of the Rings started as Tolkien's, I think it was his, like, nephew or something, wanted a bedtime story to him, so Tolkien just invented The Hobbit as a story to tell his young relative, I'm not 100% certain it was his nephew, uh, but yeah, he invented The Hobbit as a story to tell, and then really liked that world, so wrote a story set in the future of The Hobbit, which is where we got the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then went back and was like, nah, let's build this world up even more, and wrote the Silmarillion. 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 And then his uh, relative actually made, or wrote The Hobbit. Yeah, actually, like, rigorously wrote out The Hobbit story that he had been told as a kid. Yeah, and that's the fun thing, too, like, because uh, Tolkien is very well known for like his passion was like you know language and cartography and all that stuff so the fact like he probably had more fun just building this world than doing anything else within the storyline yeah because like yeah they're good stories is he an amazing writer 
I can like a lot of people don't get into his stuff because it's kind of very dry. There is humor in there. There's jokes, but he's it's, not like an enthralling writer. His like the reason the Lord is so what is because the world is so built out that you feel the impact and the connection as you go through the story. Things feel like they have a purpose and you're drawn to them. Yeah, it can be. For lack of a better term, it can be a bit of a kind of plod to get through the story at certain points. It's very dryly written, but the world structure is just so well made that it kind of encourages you to keep reading just to feel how the world evolves around you through the story. Yeah, and another example of this, what people might think to is uh, the uh, Game of Thrones series, yeah. where a lot of people will consider the books very dry and bland, but the world is so well thought out, built up, that it's not. it's hard to not get drawn into it and like feel like oh i need to know what happens next because it felt so built up and purposeful well it's one of those situations where like you hear some authors talking about their kind of world building with regards to stuff like this and they talk about how like they created a world and then just kind of release characters into it and instead of thinking i want this to happen they thought what would this character do in this situation and when the world's built to that degree the story just kind of starts writing itself at a certain point. And maybe it doesn't write itself as a good and interesting story, but it kind of, a lot of the situations resolve themselves because you know how different characters would react based on different biases that have been built into them by the way the world has been kind of created. Oh, of course. With that being said, I think we're maybe in a good position to address one of Tomas's three questions for us. The one about world building, now that we've started talking about world building. I think hands down, just due to the concept of it, Fantasy is probably the best suited for making a world and creating a story in it. Because By far. everything is pick and choose. You get to decide every little aspect of this world. What creatures exist? Uh, what people exist? What's the world look like? What abilities? What are the rules? Whereas with sci-fi, you have... I mean, I guess it depends on what you want to consider easy. Sci-fi, you just need to think of an interesting concept and how does that affect this world. Yeah, you have set guidelines that you need to adhere to. So yeah, I think... That you can expand on. If the freedom uh, it of it, depends on what you mean by which is better for world building i think uh, fantasy definitely gives you a lot more freedom for world building but i think science fiction is a lot easier to do with the world building because you're taking a pre-established world and maybe just advancing it a hundred years introducing a technology and seeing how that technology affects the world that already exists like i said you already have set rules or guidelines that you must follow whereas fantasy you're the one making up the rules so what's to stop you from going completely off the deep end and making something incoherent but i find that also kind of works in reverse in both of them you have a lot of freedom like let's say you want to introduce the means to communicate instantaneously across vast distances in science fiction you have to involve some sort of kind of faster than light communication and you have to come up with a rigorous explanation behind that whereas in fantasy you just get to say magic you get to talk magically with someone across the world And there's kind of upsides and downsides to both of them. In fantasy, it's a little bit easier to explain why that works. But the more you kind of just use that hand-wavy, it's magic explanation, the more it kind of detracts from the story. Like, I'm sure we've all read some form of fantasy where it just kind of is... You end up asking yourself, if this magic exists, why didn't they solve all of their problems with it beforehand? A lot of times with science fiction, because the rules have to be written about how this science works... It becomes a lot easier to understand, well, here's why they didn't do it that way. Whereas when you just say magic, it's a lot harder to explain why you weren't using this magic all along. Yeah, magic can be an easy trap if you're going the fantasy route because uh, some people think, oh, it's magic. I can do whatever. But I feel like if you look at any of the good 
like fantasy stories, there's a set rule for how magic works. Because yeah. you need that rule set in there in order for there it's to like, be guidelines. Otherwise, you can throw anything at any situation. It kind of removes the danger or the risk. Whereas if there's rules, you're like, oh, I know that they can't do this for this reason. Yeah, like my... I'm personally a much bigger fan of fantasy than science fiction. And I always enjoy any fantasy story that has a definitive hard magic system where all the limitations like, are explained forthright. Like, uh, my favorite example would be Aragon, the Inheritance Cycle series, where their magic is based off of what is known as the Ancient Language, which uh, its name, plot device, or plot point for later on, has been lost to time because the magic in that world works. If you know the name of something in the Ancient Language, you have control over it. And doing some sort of task through the Ancient Language, through the use of magic, requires an equal amount of energy from you. So, you want to kill someone? Sure, you could uh, cast some complex spell in the ancient language and shoot someone 100 feet in the air. Sure, but how much effort would that take you to do physically yourself? That would probably kill you, unless you had the strength of a dragon. I'm not going to get into it right now, but for <laughs> similar examples of hard magic systems that are very clearly laid out with specific rules, listen to me go on a fucking fever dream in our episode about Brett Weeks. I go into deep details about different hard magic systems, and the reason I really like those books is because of the fact that they go out of their way to explain how magic works in that world and all the different limitations and cap uh, capacities available to magic users. So just kind of anytime a fantasy writer, because I have definitely read books where the fantasy writer just kind of uses magic as like, I've written a situation and I don't know how to resolve it. I'm going to say the character did some powerful magic that no one really understands it immediately starts taking me out of the story. Because every time they're in a difficult situation, it's just like, they're going to do some powerful magic that no one really understands, and that's just going to be the solution to this problem. There's not really stakes when you don't set limits on how your world works, which is why I tend to prefer science fiction, just because of the fact that, given that it's based in our real world and using technology that is theoretically possible, and they most science fiction authors, or at least good science fiction authors, also try and go out of their way to explain how the magic work or not how the magic works how the science works behind their science it's not just it's super advanced technology but here's how that technology is supposed to work you end up finding a lot less of those holes of this problem's automatically solved because of the technology we have available to us it's a lot more of because of the technology available to us this problem solved but it creates this whole new problem yeah and that's a thing like magic is very much make or break uh, now at the same time i don't feel like it needs to be very specific either just having a clear correlation of x equals y if you do it uh, a lot of stories have recently gone to the thing of oh well it caught there's a deep cost to using any magic and usually they don't give an exact reasoning of what it will be but it's like oh you have to give something of equivalence and sometimes like a person will you know lose a limb because they cast a spell or they'll like start coughing up blood because it caused damage to them that's fine too that you realize oh there's some rules to it there's not to define what the correlation is going to be but you got to know that every time you do this there's a great risk because of it uh, on the side of sci-fi, though, sci-fi is something I do very much enjoy. I feel like I lean more to the fantasy side of things, though. But just the concept, I feel like sci-fi tends to rely more on the character or humanity, so yourself, in a reflective way. Whereas fantasy is more of the exploration in the world. More well, off like, you, with well, fantasy, you tend to remember the world a lot more in-depth than the yeah. characters, well, whereas I find also, the reverse. I find part... That's partly because the worlds tend to be a lot more colorful and fantastic. It's a lot easier to remember something vividly that 
is just sensational as opposed to something from science fiction where, yes, that's a really cool moment, could be a really epic moment or something really interesting, but it's more grounded in something that's a lot more believable. Well, my whole thing... So, first of all, just to come out and say it so no one like starts getting mad at me in the comments, I love both fantasy and science fiction. Oh, yeah. I think don't, they're both phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. I like myself a good science fiction also. I just... I personally give science fiction a little bit of an edge, mostly because I hear you both going towards science, uh, towards fantasy, and now I have to play devil's advocate. I, actually, I, I'm honestly perfectly down in the middle. It's just different things. Like so far, we've been talking about the world building. Yeah. When it comes to world building, fantasy is hands down is my thing. When we actually get into the stories, I find like fantasy gets into the very generic issue, whereas sci-fi has such a. Even though like fantasy has everything available, it all kind of goes into the same concept. Where sci-fi. It's more of, depending on what your sci-fi element is, there's so many different things. Yeah. For example, uh, Ready Player One is an example of one of them, where the whole thing is pretty much, you know, VR internet, where you integrate fully. That all adds a whole new dynamic and problems you have to solve in a store that's interesting, as opposed to Blade Runner, for example, where it's the only difference in really the Blade Runner universe is that there's space travel and androids. And How does that android, affect the world? Androids look a lot like humans, which makes people a little bit distrustful of androids. Regardless, there's also, so to go back to what I wanted to say, you were saying a little bit about how fantasy tends to have these really fantastical worlds, and it tends to be the worlds you remember about fantasy, whereas with science fiction it tends to be the people. I completely agree with that. It does lead to my main issue with fantasy, which is most fantasy novels that you'll read, or not most, but a significant amount of fantasy novels that you'll read, have to be based around an outsider as a protagonist, because... It can't be someone who's perfectly comfortable in the world because they won't marvel over the cool things that the author wrote that they want you to marvel over. So they have to take someone from either a completely different world, like Narnia's Earth, tra Earthlings traveling into Narnia and experiencing yeah, like the Narnia. Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz concept of normal persons right. holding a fantastical world to be the inn. Yeah, yeah so that in you have someone here asking all the questions of like, why does that work? Why is the caterpillar yeah. drinking tea? So you have an audience standing asking the questions yeah. for you whereas with science fiction i find that because of the fact that it's so close to the world we're from already you don't really need a character who's an outsider explaining the story to you because it's close enough that all the things you don't understand already or all the things you do already understand act as enough of a basis that the things you don't you can kind of pick up through context as time tends to go on yeah i never really thought about it that way but looking back again on aragon the main character, Aragon, he was just a simple farm boy who grew up in his village. He's never seen anything about the rest of the world. And then, uh, even in Lord of the Rings, Frodo. Again, just a just... hobbit who grew up in Hobbitown and knows nothing about the outside world. Exactly. You have Harry Potter. It's a muggle boy who surprises the most powerful wizard of all time, and he's never known because he was raised as a muggle. Star Wars Luke Skywalker, just a moisture farmer. Who, who surprise was the most powerful Jedi of all time. Yeah, and that's and the thing. he just what? wanted to go to the Tachi station to pick up some power converters. And, and that's the thing I was talking about too, where fantasy feels like it's almost locked itself into only using the hero's journey for its story. Yeah, you need to have a character who's an outsider as your protagonist because if you have a fantasy world and you don't have a character asking those questions or marveling over the things that are different from her own, your audience isn't going to be as enveloped with the world. You need a character enveloped in the world for you to feel enveloped in the world. Now, sci-fi doesn't always necessarily go this route, of course. But I feel most sci-fi, when it's done, has you asking questions about it, which inevitably ends up revealing the concepts to you anyways. So you'll introduce kind of things that seem normal and the person won't bat an eye to it. But you, as the reader, are the one who starts thinking about it. 
And that's kind of the basis of most sci-fi in a sense. My favorite kind of evolution of that is always the characters, like oftentimes, and it's not always the case, but oftentimes in science fiction, the, the story will go kind of the opposite direction where it'll have the main character be someone who's so familiar with this technology that they're like, they don't think about it at all. Like Ready Player One, for example, the main character of that book is a character who's so already into that VR world that he doesn't feel the need to like marvel over any of the like cool aspects. They just kind of introduce cool aspects, but he's a character who's so familiar with it that he's just like, yeah, I don't care anymore. Let's just get moving. Let's win this race so that I can get me some coins to go to the next world. Of course, and that can actually lead to some of the interesting concepts of things. So in the aspect of someone who's so well-versed in it, uh, you can end up making that the conflict story. Minority Report comes to mind where the whole concept of the pre-crime unit is so ingrained to him, he has no doubt about it, and that's what leads to the conflict of the story when that little crack starts showing of maybe there's something wrong with this system, and that's what whole, starts the whole venture of the story. Uh, another good one, uh, there's a sci-fi story called Daemon that I read. It's a book, doesn't have anything else, sadly. It's very good, though. But the whole concept is there's this kind of, like, genius guy who ends up uh, creating kind of like a network system. He knew about his death, and he started putting plans in emotion because of how smart he was. And the, the thing that makes the story great is it's in that transition period where it's not too far in the future, but he was the cutting edge of this technology. So things are happening. You're like, how is this ha even happening? But then the story kind of reveals these like sci-fi elements of it as it goes through as this man has been dead for a week and he's already holding people hostage and the world's like in a dangerous spot and he's killing people if they don't do specifically what he says. Yeah, there's a lot of things I really like. For instance, on Netflix right now, uh, the second season of Altered Carbon just came out. Yeah. That's a fantastic story. It's based around the idea of people essentially getting one of their spinal columns replaced with what essentially amounts to a high-tech USB drive, which stores their entire consciousness on this uh, kind of stack, as they call it. And so the main basis of the story is just the idea of if that technology existed what would come about that? And you have characters who become ultra-rich who just keep cloning themselves and moving their stack into it so they can live hundreds of years. And you end up having characters who find ways to corrupt the code. And you find out when children die, they're just moved into a new body. And interstellar travel is easy now because you're not moving the body. You're just transferring that code across the stars. It's very fascinating. I won't get into the main plot of the story, but it's the idea of here's a new technology that doesn't exist, but like we can understand how it would exist based on the technology we currently have. What are the consequences of this technology existing? And a, a big thing that I find is becoming a concept in most science fiction as well is the dystopian future. Yes. Because if there's one thing we love about our science fiction, it's how we fuck it up. Yeah, it's always technology was invented to make life easier, immediately makes life easier for 1% of the world and so much worse for literally everyone else. Also, specifically, if it was a science fiction wrote, uh, written in the early 2000s, it's also about teenagers. Yes, it's about teenagers and about how they have to fight back about against a corrupt government by kissing real hard while shooting arrows from their magic bows. Funny enough, that is more than one series. Yep. Because huh? I know you, okay, you were clearly going for Hunger Games, and I was thinking 300. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Oh, not 300, 100. 100. Also kind of accurate to Divergent as well. A little bit. <laughs> oh, God. Talk about series having the same plot over and over again. I think the real truth is that teen drama fiction always has the exact same goddamn plot. 
Thought you say you rarely see that storyline in a fantasy story. No. They're not too upset about each other. He's like, I got a fucking magic sword. Look at this. Hey! Uh, but I guess, going back to the question, which one's better for doing world building? Uh, for my type of world building, it's 100% fantasy. I Once again, I got to go back to my statement of it depends on what you mean by better for world building. If you mean it gives you more freedom for world building, then absolutely fantasy. If yeah. it makes it easier to build a cohesive world, absolutely science fiction. Yeah. Oh, of course. And really, if, if you, for example, you play Dungeons and Dragons, yes, you're doing fantasy, but really you're kind of following the rules for sci-fi when you're doing it, because there's fantasy that already has guidelines in place, and you're just kind of picking and choosing. So really, the concept of how they work kind of matches, but fantasy does give, if you take those guidelines off those training wheels, it's just an overwhelming amount of diversity in what you can do. Yeah. Matthew? Yes. I have to agree that... Uh... I think that sci-fi is really good for story building. Not so much the world, though, because the world, more often than not, is just our world, but expanded on with more technology or other such similar things. Whereas fantasy is an entirely new world, an entirely new perspective that you might not have thought of before. So it just opens up a whole new realm of possibility. I would say you're reading very limited amounts of science fiction, but whatever. <laughs> uh, do we want to move on to one of the other two questions? Sure. Uh, I guess we can go into uh, a, a question about what blends better with other genres. Yeah, we've already kind of touched on this a little bit. Yeah, because you can do... I don't think there's a limit to what you can do specifically, because all of them can kind of work. I guess historical fantasy, even though you use like medieval stuff, there's no historical fantasy in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess historical, historical sci-fi might be a little fucked too. Historical uh, timeline. Both of them. Yeah. Uh, both, oh, timeline is a good one. <laughs> both of them, I think, make sense with alternative history uh, as opposed to historical itself, just because of the fact that, as we said, historical fantasy only really makes sense if you have a pre-established fantasy world and you're going to, to the history of that. It that's uh, fantasy, which you can do, but is weird and historical science fiction just becomes regular fiction at a certain point because i don't know well historical science fiction uh, as matt put uh, timeline works really well where it's them traveling back in time and altering things and they go really in depth with how their time travel thing works and the negative consequences related with it yeah essentially they're photocopying themselves every time they do it. and every time they do it there's more and more errors with their body i recognize that i don't fully consider that one to be historical though because even though aspects of it take place in history the bulk of the story is set in the future and you have to look at it at the way how how do i describe this uh the way the avengers describes time travel where they say that even though you're going to the past the past is your future so yeah. even though they're traveling to the past it's still the future for us because you have to go forward in time to be able to go back in time and if you look at it in the really wishy-washy, timey-wimey way, uh, it, I, even if you're traveling from the future to what is currently our past, I still consider that to be a story set into the future, not a story mm-hmm. set in the past because you traveled to the past. Yeah, but to from get a there. reader uh, perspective, it is a tr- journey to the past. It's to the present or the future for the characters actually in the story, but to everyone outside of that perspective, that is a story of history. And to be fair, in the timeline, a concept there, 
that specifically has that they can't alter the past. Even though they do a bunch of things, the past still happens the exact same way that is talked about in the beginning. Okay, in that yeah. case, yes, that would lead more towards historical. Yeah. Like, uh, science fiction. Case in point, the timeline movie where they find the sarcophagus where the guy is missing an ear. There's like, oh no, someone damaged his beautiful sarcophagus, like chipped off his ear. Nah, he loses his ear. He's actually when he goes Butler's character who lost his ear in the light. I guess the only difference is the legend says she dies, but she lives, which. To die later, I guess. Yeah. But. Sure. Beyond uh, historical, though, I, I'd i say they all blend fairly well with other genres. The only thing that it's really hard to do is blend the two of them together. But, like, for instance, for a mystery, it's very easy to set a mystery novel either in a fantastical world or in a science fiction-based I'd, world. I'd say, actually, for mystery, it would be easier to set it in science fiction. It could, but if you know the... It depends have... on the way you build your fantasy world. It's... Easy enough to kind of yeah, build a mystery yeah. around how... I suppose if in your fantasy world you have set rules to yeah. what's possible. There's if also, you... a, a, I can't remember the name of it offhand, but there is actually a very famous detective storyline that's set in the fantasy world, which is kind of like fantasy, but in our, you know, technological point. So we they have cars and that stuff, but magic exists. So it's, it's a kind of like story. It's kind of like Bright, but if it was a mystery story. It, the trick to writing a mystery fantasy novel is you have to set out to write a mystery fantasy novel or a mystery fantasy story. You can't just set out to write a fantasy world and then construct a mystery story within there. You have to kind of go into it knowing what you're doing so you create the limitations in order for the mystery to exist. Yeah, and that would be a point, like, if you're going to use magic in that fantasy world, you have to have the rules very defined because then it makes the murder mystery super easy to solve. Well, not solve, but hard. it's easy to say, like, oh, it was a closed room. How'd they do it? Clearly the person knows magic. Yeah. Teleported. At the same time, like, you want to go about, like, horror. Horror's easy to set in science fiction. You just have to introduce one weird element, which is some sort of alien or some sort of robot AI that's gone Aliens, crazy. Aliens, predators, Resident Evil. Disease. Exactly. Fantasy, very easy to create a fantasy horror story just because of the fact that you end up creating this idea of a monster that destroys fantasy creatures or something like that it or just a necromancer with a bunch of zombies and skeletons and, and crypts and stuff because it, yep the dead is scary i would probably if we had to choose one to be better for blending with other genres i'd probably once again probably side with science fiction just because mm -hmm. with any of these fantasy novels you do kind of have to go, or fantasy stories you have to go into it with the plan of creating a fantasy mystery or a fantasy horror or whatever so that you create those limitations when you're creating the world whereas when you're creating a science fiction mystery or something rather than building your world around the idea of this being a mystery you just have to build your mystery elements around the fact that yeah. they're going to go into a science fiction world and also since the science fiction world again has to be based more on what we're familiar with the fact that something horror you're writing a horror story it's going to resonate closer to the readers who are more familiar with the world that it's taking place in anyway. I would almost argue that there's no, like, genre that can't be mixed with it. I feel like both would mix easily because they're kind of almost their own thing outside of genre, in a yeah. sense. So it's more of you're writing a detective story in a fantasy setting. It's almost, I guess, a setting is the best way to put it. Yes. It's a setting more so than anything else. Yeah. It's so just... to say a genre mixes better or worse with it, it's kind of a moot point and it's hard to argue either way. Yeah. All right, last but not least, which one was better represented in 2019? So, the to be fair, the exact wording of the email is, uh, which 
was better represented this year. But given that we received that email in 2019 and we're not going to talk about the first two months of 2020 in which we got better representation, we're going to talk about which just got better representation representation in uh, 2019. Uh, so I guess a very important question that this comes down to is, do we consider the Avengers universe sci-fi or fantasy? I definitely do not consider the Avengers sci-fi. I also don't consider them fantasy because it's they do go out of their way to try and ground it in a real world. Well, you see, the issue with, I guess, comic books in general is they're both. Yes. Yeah. They're sci-fi and fantasy. They're fantastical science fiction. And they also added in magic yeah. as soon as they added Doctor Strange into they, the cinematic universe. They add in magic. They add in fantasy countries like Sarkovia that don't actually exist. But at the same time, they also go out of their way to have technological heroes who they ground all of their abilities within science. Yeah. It's like yeah. Tony Stark, the original Iron Man movie. I would have called that a sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I think... We have to right remove the conversation. We have to ig- ignore the Avengers universe. It doesn't count as either. It does not affect which one was better represented. At the same time, if we're going to talk about which one was better represented, we should probably talk about the worst representation of either in 2019, which was the final season of Game of Thrones, which was not well liked by a lot of people. And depending on who you ask, Star Wars. <laughs> and yes... Also, Star Wars, so we have, they both got some rather lackluster representation, but I also think they both got a fair, god damn it, I don't want each one of our discussions today to end in both, but also kind of this one. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, in terms of Game of Thrones, we all know that I haven't done much with Games of Thrones aside from games watching. Of Thrones. Game, games of Thrones. There are many Games of Thrones. Great Games of the Throne. That's why you win or you die. But uh, yeah, I just watched uh, summaries and such. But uh, from my outside and very limited perspective, I think the ending wrapped up fairly well outside of a couple things that I took issue with. Sansa, hater. Fair. Uh, so let's think about this because there was quite a bit on either end. Like we had like Ad Astra released. Uh, Terminator Dark Fate, Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. Uh, so I think most of those did bad though. Yeah. Uh, I think, I don't think movies did kindly for either one of them in 2019. I, I mean, again, arguing whether, depending on who you ask, but Star Wars, but if we talk purely on what made money, well, then it goes to fantasy because of Star Wars pretty much on its own. Yeah. But that, again, this is purely in the movie cycle of things. So which was better represented, not necessarily which made the most money. Within the movie cycle of things, I think, yeah, Star Wars made more money, but I think... We're definitely leaning more towards sci-fi. We saw a lot more sci-fi movies come out in 2019 than we saw uh, fantasy stories come out. So I think science fiction just got more representation in movies, so by default it has better representation. Yeah, because we got a lot. We got stuff like, you know, Men in Black as well. Uh, It came out not to the greatest. So it's like, a lot of sci-fi came out, but I guess to be fair on the same side, when you have more stuff coming out, the more stuff's going to show is bad. Yeah. Oh, I'm just... Scrolling through Google at the movies that came out that are considered sci-fi. And there's a whole lot of stuff that wasn't great. What's some off for me? Because I cannot remember uh, much any sci-fi movie that came out this year. So the ones we've already mentioned, there's also Gemini Man, the Will Smith movie. There is uh, Code 8, The Color Out of Space, Glass, Happy Death Day to You. That wasn't sci-fi. Was it? I don't <laughs> I don't understand. Hellboy. I Am Mother was good. I Am Mother, yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, Spies in Disguise. Yeah, yeah. Doom Annihilation. The Lego Movie 2. I mean, I, te- 
I'm willing to give it that one on the sci-fi side of things because we know for sure that the Lego movie takes place in our world. Yes. And it's sentient it's... Lego. <laughs> okay. All right. So. Hey, consider, do you consider it a child's love science? All right. So I think in movies we have to kind of tip the hat towards science fiction just. Oh, yeah. We also had Gemini Man, Brightburn, Godzilla. Which so, a lot of people wouldn't consider sci-fi off the top of their hat, but it is because the whole th- reason for Godzilla existing is, is purely science. Nuclear yes. Or nuclear energy. Regardless. Don't, don't worry about the psychic humans and the space aliens. Oh, I guess aliens, humans, mo- I guess Mothra is the one thing that kind of throws a wrench in there, yeah. but fuck it. Regardless, I think as a pure numbers game, we have to tip the hat towards science fiction for getting the better representation in 2019, at least with regards to movies. I can't think of much with regards to TV shows that came out fantasy-wise. And once we start talking about books, there's just too much to keep track of. Yeah, that, 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 that's a hard number to say on either end. Although for TV shows, I think we do have to give a shout-out to The Witcher. Oh, Although, yeah. was that... That came out early 2020. Or was that no. the end of 2019? Didn't it start coming out 2019? Oh, it might have come out in like November or December of 2019. It would have all dropped at the same time it is Netflix. Let's take a quick look. Oh, yeah, 2019. Hey, all yeah. right. So yeah, got to tip a hat towards fantasy at least a little bit. I I guess it's just kind of where we're at culturally right now with regards to society where t- people tend to be a little bit more concerned with the real world, I suppose, and are less concerned with these kind of fantastical worlds that people create. So movie studios aren't exactly interested in spending all the money to CGI a fake world in when they can set something in our real world. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch also come out last year? Uh, yeah, I think that was early 2019. And that was a really good example of, like, a pretty cool concept with a sci-fi. Yeah. So, unless anyone can think of any compelling arguments against, I think we have to go for sci-fi being better represented in 2019. Yeah, because as much as I want to, aside from The Witcher, I can't really think of too many other notable things that came out. Yeah, there was quite a bit of sci-fi that came out specifically, but with fantasy, it was a little bit here and there. I mean, to be fair, fantasy still hasn't... I feel fully worked its way into the mainstream. No. As well. Like there are big fantasy things again, Lord of the Rings movies, Harry Potter series, but it's more of a big storyline that kind of comes in and then kind of just finishes. And it's not so far inspiring a lot of stuff. It's hard to build a kind of cinematic universe around a fantasy story. And that's where all of pop culture is at right now. Trying to build something where they sell you one ticket and get you to buy 20 more. That being said, uh, another little hat tip towards fantasy, have to acknowledge. Uh, the fifth book in Brent Weeks' Lightbringer <laughs> series came out in 2019, so that's another fantasy moment. It got mixed stuff, but uh, Blade Runner was uh, the, the 2022? Or, I thought it was 2049. 2049, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I enjoy it. I'm a big fan of Blade Runner. Blade Runner yeah. is, even a lot of people want to say it's bad in some aspects, it's still a very influential thing yes. in the sci-fi genre. It, it very much in the same way that uh, a lot of things that were set for fantasy were done by Tolkien. Just like the the works that inspired Blade Runner and Blade Runner itself just drastically changed a lot of what sci-fi is. Yeah, absolutely. So, does that answer your questions, Tomas? Let us know. Shoot us another email. And if you disagree with us, also shoot us an email. Now, I do want to find out something for you guys. We've talked a lot about, you know, just the concept of fantasy and sci-fi. Are there any that stand out to you specifically in either genre as being really good or really bad? I So there's one concept that is... Oh, fuck. I think this might actually be an example of historical science. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's 
one story that's been told like three different times in three completely unrelated movies. Cinderella? Uh, no. Um, Nazis on the Moon. What? <laughs> There's been... I think it's three separate movies have been released in like the past decade that tell the story of Nazis who participated in the space race, landed on the moon, and then created a secret war base on the dark side of the moon and have been growing the Aryan race there for the past 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, seeking to come back, and it usually sets it in like 1980. Those are pretty terrible, so I'll give that one a shout out for bad science fiction. <laughs> no, is it bad as in like the story is bad, or like does it do that so bad that it's good? Oh, so bad that it's good. Oh, it, oh. Well, I gotta admit, I did not see that coming. <laughs> No, we're gonna talk about, I don't know if I'd classify this. It's probably more sci-fi, just to how they do it, but there's some fantasy elements to it. But The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera? I have not... I am not aware of that one. Oh, man, no. The Lost Skeleton of Cadavera, it's a movie from, like, 2004, I think, where it's they filmed the movie on a very cheap budget and made it look like a 50s B-movie. So it's shot in black and white, but it's in the year 2000 when they made this. And they have some of the best cheesiest one of the lines, but essentially it's all these people end up coming to this mountain to get... Uh, damn, it's a special stone or something. I can't remember the name of it. It's uh, Rarium or something like that. Unobtainium. Yes, regardless. But there's a scientist and his wife. There's another scientist... There's aliens who crashed onto this area, and it's, this stone is the only thing that can fuel their ship. But when they crashed, a mutant got out of their ship, and it's killing people. <laughs> and there's some classic lines where the, the, the uh, um, forest ranger is walking around, and he's like, man, there's been a lot of mutilations. Wait a second. Mutilations. Mutilations. Mutant. What? And then the he makes the logical jump from mutilations to mutants. Yeah. Oh my god. That's not a thing. That <sighs> is that is old Batman logic there. Or, or freaking, there's a part where uh, the scientist ends up becoming bad. Oh, did I mention there's a magical skeleton in the mountain that commands people to do things in its bidding? What? I assume based on the name skeleton of cadaver, then yes, there is a magical skeleton. But yes, go on. But anyways, the, the other scientist is by himself when he's going into the forest to uh, see if he can find this uh, stone. He ends up encountering the forest ranger and. He's like, oh, just be careful when you go into the Mountain of Cadavera. There's uh, apparently curses up there. And he's like, ha, 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 I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything. And then just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in anything. Oh, that's spectacular. And, and then, like, whenever anyone's doing science, you see clearly in the background, like, a science for kids kit that was opened and put all this stuff down. That's amazing. <laughs> or another, uh, another one that I really liked was like, it's not easy, easy being the wife of a scientist. You know, a scientist's wife. <laughs> Oh, it's if so you haven't watched bad. Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, you probably should. It's a pretty good movie. Oh, it sounds terrible. A terribly great time. Exactly. All right, Matt, do you have any examples of fantastic or terrible or so bad they're good fantasy or science fiction um, stories? Since you both kind of went the way of science fiction, I'll go fantasy and uh, breach the ocean of anime. With uh, one particular series, which decided to poke fun at the whole new quote-unquote isekai genre, which is in another world, where this one was, uh, the hero is incredibly overpowered, but incredibly cautious, something along those lines for the title. Does and he push his glasses up and they make a sparkle? He doesn't have glasses, but he's Is he a vending machine? No. <laughs> no. I was recently reading an isekai story about a guy who gets reincarnated as a vending machine and lives his life yeah, no. upgrading. Go on, Matt. Um, it was amazing, let me tell you this. It knew full well what it was doing. It was just poking fun at all of the isekai and how just 
generic they all are. Poking fun at generic names, uh, generic hero name, generic hero name, generic hero name. This guy looks interesting. And, uh, well, he's incredibly overpowered, can one-shot everything, but, uh, decides to go overboard and make sure a level 1 slime is dead by using all of his most powerful attacks to make sure nothing is left. And it's just amazingly well done. Sorry, what was this called again? Uh, it was something like, uh, here, let me actually look up the actual title. Is Cautious Hero. The hero is overpowered but overly cautious. <laughs> cautious Gets its point across. Yep. Summoned by a goddess to save a world that's on the brink of destruction by a demon lord. And as all in isekais, the main character is summoned in. And they're really powerful for whatever reason. This guy is really powerful. And yeah, he solves everything. But uh, just the way it goes about it. You think just by reading the synopsis that it's going to be absolutely terrible. But no, it embraces its simplicity. <laughs> And what it's making fun of, and just runs with it. I have recently gotten into the world of reading isekai stories. Uh, my favorite is the one I read. Well, not my favorite, but the most recent one I've discovered is me and Matt. You were talking about how you were watching it just before we started recording this. Uh, Bofuri, I'm afraid of taking damage, so I'll max out my defense instead. <laughs> and it's about a girl who starts an online RPG or MMO RPG game and puts literally every single one of her points into defense to the point where she can only walk she cannot move at anything faster than a slow walk uh but literally can't take any damage at all and just gains levels by having random forest critters smash their head against her until they die <laughs> it gets to the point where the creators of the game have to set out a patch to change the way defense works so that <laughs> she isn't the most overpowered creature in the entire world <laughs> because of her dumb fixation on not taking damage it's a fun way to build a character yeah, in a game. No, that, she kills a poison dragon by biting it because it destroys all her armor and weapons with poison. <laughs> <laughs> and she learns the devour skill because of it. Yeah. Oh my. But, um, uh, no, the isekai genre has become overly saturated with uh, very generic stories, though. That's what happens with most storylines. Something gets popular. And, and then everyone wants to cash in on that slice of pie so they write their own ever so slut slightly tweaked version of the original story. I'm trying to think, like, if I had to pick a fantasy story or universe that's probably my favorite, it's, uh, I think I lean more towards Fire Emblem. The Fire Emblem series is probably my favorite fantasy. Yeah, I can see that, just because of how drawn out, the, or how fleshed out the world is, and all of the different characters, and how they just interact with each other and the world. I mean, Pokemon's pretty well, yeah, high yeah. up there, too. <laughs> My favorite series, I've already mentioned it a couple times, Aragon and the Inheritance Cycle. Do I have to say my favorite series, even though I already forced us to do an episode on it? Uh, no. Say it's it. the say Lightbringer it. series by Brent Weeks. What about sci-fi, though? Probably sci-fi. It's tough, because I want to say Ender's Game, because I really enjoy that series, yeah, really. but also... Orson Scott Card's kind of a piece of shit, and I feel weird acknowledging <laughs> Ender's Game, given the fact that he's kind of a piece of shit. Uh, but I do love the books enough that I'm willing to look past the author, so yeah. I think I'm going to go with Ender's, the Ender's Game series. Uh, me, it's probably 100% Mass Effect. Though I do quite enjoy sitting down and watching Blade Runner so often. But Mass Effect by far. That's fair. Hmm. Would you consider Back to the Future sci-fi? Oh yeah, 100%. Back yeah. to the Future then. <laughs> cool. I'm going to amend my answers. My favorite science fiction is Star Wars, and my favorite fantasy is Star Trek. Let's get a whole bunch of people fighting on this. <laughs> 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 I 
I, those... I was about to go. <laughs> well, speaking of Star Trek, that's one of those interesting things where I feel like it's, even though you would classify it as sci-fi, I don't think I'd ever see anyone describing it as a genre aside from just Star Trek. Yeah. It's, it, it's one of those things that's gotten so big and passed itself that... It's, it's how so other people describe other genres. Someone will write a story and they'll be like, oh, it's reminiscent of Star Trek, eh? Well, I think we answered Thomas's questions. <laughs> oh, that's how you pronounce it. Thomas. Oh. Thomas. That or I had a stroke. No, I think Thomas is right. Thomas Sorry. sounds right. Sorry, Thomas. Thomas Shawan. Shawan? <laughs> Shahan. Shahan. Thomas Shahan. Uh, now, just before we do a wrap-up here, of course, just like always, or as we've started doing, I'm just going to check... The Instagram here, see if anyone correctly guessed the episode. Nope, no one has guessed the episode yet. I am not surprised. Uh, but if someone does manage to guess it before the episode goes live, I uh, will make sure to uh, put you in the uh, Instagram image when it goes live on uh, YouTube and all the other podcasting stations we use. And you'll get the shout out at the beginning of the next episode yes, after will, that. You will be called out once again. The gauntlets will be cast. Yeah, but this one does go live on the 9th, as you listening will know. <laughs> yes, if it is currently the 9th or later... Then you are perhaps listening to this. And if you're listening to this and it is neither the 9th nor any time after the 9th, how the fuck? What? I'm confused now. How are you listening to this before the podcast has gone out? Time travel. We discussed this. <laughs> it's Keith editing the podcast. That's who's listening to this right now. <laughs> it's me listening to us talk about this. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now, before we do go, we did have quite a few comments on YouTube of all places. I guess. Oh, God. We're going to have to start delving through our YouTube comments, aren't we? So I'm just going to go How many bots? This. Uh, At least one. Well, let's take a look. Uh, so we're going to go from the oldest to the newest. Uh, so for our first one, uh, this one was actually on a Toy Story 4 episode by Bank Pattinson. Nice channel. You have a new sub. Did you check smzzz.com? You should grow your channel. Yep. I trust him. I'll click on that. Uh, next one we have from Alan Wazowski. Or Wazowski. Wazowski. Yeah. And he said, nice podcast on our Stranger Things episode. Next, we have Trap Country on our Witcher episode. Oh. Sorry. Accidentally. Are you listening to our podcast on our podcast? <laughs> Maybe. Is our podcast about listening to our podcast? Is our podcast about Inception? Ooh. But anyways, Trap Country, big up on the Witcher episode. And then, uh, for the last comment we have, this one was on our Sonic episode that just went up. And <laughs> the comment is, here before 10 subscribers. Please make more. I would love to be friends. And then they gave oh. us an emoji with big eyes. Oh, thank you. And their name is just a period. Uh, Mysterious. Just want to like throw it. this out there. We do not want to be friends with you. What? Matt has more than enough friends. To, he's having trouble keeping up with some of his friends right now. Just came. I know bragging. because I never see Matt outside of us recording these podcasts. He, he was bragging about hanging out with his friends when he showed up. Imaginary <laughs> friends. You should have seen the way he threw his scarf over his shoulder. <laughs> and now he's throwing my books around. He doesn't even value your friendship enough to take care of your things. Anyways, uh, thank you to everyone who wrote a comment. Write more, we'll read them out. Probably. Uh, <laughs> I only trust one of you so far, and uh, I hope to hear more from you again, Bank Pattinson. And maybe tell me more about this website of yours. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh... You can find our podcast at all major podcasting areas. If you download Spotify, iMusic, Podbean now. Uh, there's a lot. I don't check all of them. So maybe we had comments on other things. I need to figure out how to look at those. Yes. Uh, another note, if you have an idea of what our podcast can be about, you have a comment you would like to read off, a correction, or just want to get your name possibly read off, 
you can send us an email. Uh, email is whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com as words are normally spelt. You could try to hit us up on YouTube. There's no guarantee that we will see those comments in a timely fashion. I'm going to be honest. I might have let uh, my good friend Bank uh, Pattinson go a month before I read off his comment. We'll do our best to read your YouTube comments, but there's no guarantees that they will be read yeah. off. I am now watching the comments in YouTube. I don't like to, but I will. So, yep, you can, if you have any suggestions of episodes, you can also leave them in the YouTube comments. We might come across them a little later than intended, but we may get to them. Speaking of uh, God damn it. next yeah. episode, do you guys know what our next episode's going to be on? Well, I believe soon it's your birthday, Matt. Oh, I know what next episode's oh, going to be on. Oh, right, right. Anyway, yeah, I think I suppose I know what our episode's going to be about. And if I do say so, it's going to be quite an adventure. So I certainly hope you guys really try your hardest at uh, figuring out what it's going to be about. And, uh, yeah, just uh, one last thing we go before we go. Good things come in threes. Why don't you speak normally? What is with the fucking limericks? That was not a limerick! <laughs> <laughs>